This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Time to put on the show. You don't save the weekend with a win on Sunday. But it takes it takes just a little bit of the sting out. Just a little bit of the sting out. The Mariners, they didn't salvage the series, Paul. They did not salvage the series. You win one of four against the Kansas City Royals, they did not salvage it. And I was going to say, they, they prevented Salvador Perez from homering twice on Sunday, but just barely. Uh. But just barely. I would like to bid a fond farewell to Sal Perez, and if I never see you again, it'll be too soon. Players like Salvador Perez are the reason that the Mariners aren't that much separated from a team like Kansas City. Because Salvador Perez, what, one of the best players in the American League. Don't you have to make that argument? He's second in home runs, third yeah. in runs. Yeah, he's having in. a monster season. He plays a position that's not. But isn't, isn't that actually what does separate the Royals from a team like the Mariners? That the Royals have one dude that can do that. And, and the reason that the Mariners have a winning record and are in the conversation is because they're more than just one player. Like, Sal Perez carried them through the weekend. And if I wasn't a Mariners fan, it would have been awesome to watch. I mean, dude hit grand slams in the first two games of the series, yeah. came up with the bases loaded uh. in the third game. And that was just a rope a dope. Didn't give it up that time. I mean, it was, if you're not a Mariners fan, it was really awesome to watch. He crushed the ball. Yeah, he clobbered it. I would just make it from this perspective, Danny, because you're right in that, hey, the Mariners are a more complete team than Kansas City at this point in time, but it would be great to have someone like Salvador Perez who could do that for you, that can take over an entire weekend series for you, and you don't quite yeah. have that at the plate with anybody. Yeah, yeah not, not right now. Kanegers come close at times this year. We've seen Seager be able to do it in the past, but yeah, no, they they haven't. It's it's been a, it's been a bit since they've had somebody hitch up the t- the team on its back and said, "Let's go through the whole weekend. I'm going to provide all of the horsepower." To me, Paul, this weekend, this weekend is why I get really dubious about that term clutch. Mm. Like this is this weekend is the perfect example for why I get really dubious because when you win everybody like oh man this team's so clutch and I saw there was a measurement last week that was retweeted about they're the most clutch team in the bit well what happened this weekend were they not clutch did they did they lack focus if Scott Service gets credit for them being clutch like Mike Salk was saying last week does he deserve criticism because they weren't as clutch this week because they left 40 men on base and they also were 9 for 36 with runners in scoring position. Here's what's funny. That's actually a better batting average with runners in scoring position than they have been through the entire season. Wow. Well, a step they forward. They hit 223 with dudes in, in scoring position prior to this weekend. And they were 9 for 36. So they were better than they usually are with dudes in scoring position. But I get what you're saying here. In that in those big spots, it is really subjective. Especially over the course of an 162-game schedule. You would just think, though, that going up against a team like Kansas City, that when you find yourself in situations like this, you, having been through it and done that, would perhaps be a little bit more acclimated to the situation than they ended up being. Of course, they weren't. And, of course, you saw the game Friday night in particular, Danny, which was one that I went to, was very frustrating because we watched the game and we're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And then, of course, everything sort of fell apart at the very end. And, yes, it's Salvador Perez who has the second Grand Slam in two nights. Ugh. Here was Sal Perez with one of his four home runs over the course of the weekend, homered in every single game. Uh, basically, I haven't seen anybody do that to the Mariners since Jose Altuve did it. Uh, it was getting close to like 
seven or eight years ago when he came in and he was running Michael Saunders off of walls, hurting everybody, just destroyed the entire team this week. That was Sal Perez, and here is his second Grand Slam and, and the second of the four home runs he hit against the Mariners this weekend. And the 1-1 on the way. Perez a swing and a fly ball into center field. Backing up Keldick to the one. He tracked to the wall. Leaps up and goodbye baseball. Another grand slam off the bat of Salvador Perez. And he ties the game at 5-5 here at the top of the fourth inning. Perez with a grand slam in last night's game. And a grand slam tonight. And we are tied at 5-5. No, I got to go back. To, to what you said a little bit earlier, Danny. This, that, that win yesterday did not take the sting out of this. I, I remember hearing the, the final call of the game, and look, I'm not going to tell guys to not be enthusiastic about it, but I listened to it on the television, and everyone was like, all right, you got the last game. I'm like, yeah, but you, you didn't even split this series. It's Kansas City. You know, you lost three of four at Kansas City. You had a perfect opportunity. You had the A's and the Yankees playing each other. They yep. beat each other. They, they split it. I mean, it worked out perfectly for you. And you lose three of four to this team, and now you got Houston. Like God, a six and two road trip, and it turns into losing three of four to a team that again, Kansas City's not bad. They've been playing well recently, but it's it's I'm 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 still frustrated. You know, Sunday. Thank goodness that Jared Kelnick was able to go yard. Thank goodness that Kyle Seager was able to go yard. What if we were talking about a four game sweep right now? And what if that four game sweep? had been triggered by an eighth-inning home run by Salvador Perez, Ugh. which came brutally close to happening. Oh, my God. Came brutally close did, to happening. Did he's so scary. I wanted away? him to walk him. I legitimately wanted <laughs> them too. to walk him. I legitimately wanted them to walk him, even though that breaks every Cardinal. Like, that's the kind of thing you would only do to steroid Barry Bonds. <laughs> yes. Like, only, only steroid Barry Bonds where you're like, he's the tying run, he's at the plate, walk him. Like only that, and I was I was fully on board with that. And it sounds like Scott's service wasn't too far off because Perez ends up mashing the ball off the uh, off the wall. It turns out to be uh, it's the world's longest single. I, I, I he just didn't run well enough, or wasn't whatever it was. Salvador Perez ends up with a single, but he drives in the, the their third run of the game. This is service after the game, and this made me laugh out loud. I will never forget that mound visit for as long as I uh, uh, manage the game. Um, Certainly, it's the hottest hitter on the planet uh, the last four days, and, and you go out there and, you know, with the guy getting on in front of him, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure we executed pitches, and uh, Paul assured me that he was not going to throw him anything he could hit. Uh, unfortunately, we did not execute, um, and we were actually very fortunate that the ball did hit the wall. What an explanation. <laughs> what do you think it was? What do you think the conversation was? Is like, Paul – you realize you're not going to throw this guy a strike, right? And Ball's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it." He's like, "Because if you if you think you we'll just we'll just intentionally walk him, but you're not throwing him something to hit." Ball's like, "Yeah, yeah, I got it." Wham! It feels personal too when his name's involved. And Paul, I told Paul this, and he wasn't able to get it done. Danny, I I kind of want to invent time travel and go back to this weekend and walk Perez with the bases loaded. Like I don't even care anymore. Th- th- that guy. That guy was so good, and you're right. In that last at bat, I mean, did you learn nothing? <laughs> Walk yeah. him. There's, there's no point. There's no point in throwing him any more pitches in this series. He was so good. So instead of saying they salvaged it or it took the sting out of it, because I agree with all those things. Like, there's no, you can't put lipstick on that pig of a series. Like that was, it was brutal. And and as much as you want to give Salvador Perez credit, the Mariners did not score enough runs. They left 40 men on base over those four games. How bad was it? 
They're now, what, six and a half back of the Yankees Mm -hmm. and three and a half back of the Red Sox. And oh, by the way, you lost a game on the A's as well. Mm -hmm. So you're now, how bad was it? I don't think it was catastrophic, but it's certainly, it may be even more than just a missed opportunity. It might be more significant than just a missed opportunity. Yeah, you're only going to have a couple of opportunities the rest of the way to fatten up. And you got to take advantage when you can. You're not going to do it with every single series. This team is just not good enough, I think, to pull that off. But, you know, every, every single game that they lose to a team that they're better than has added up over the course of this year, and it has them on the outside looking in, no matter how entertaining this season has been. And you just have to take it. But it's hard to take at times when you feel like they are doing things that can be continued. And when you win six games on an eight-game road trip, and you're beating good teams along the way, you start to talk yourself into things that maybe aren't reality. But, yeah, that's where I'm at. It, you got to you got to at the very least split that series, and unfortunately they weren't able to do it. At the very least they didn't get blown out in any of these games. You know, it could have been you know, San Diego-esque earlier in the year or something like that. Nope, but, nope they yeah. just got, they got bludgeoned into submission by a single player. <laughs> One dude came to town with a big club and just hit everything in sight. Wham! 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 Pow! Uh, right in the kiss did, did, did not appreciate that, Sal Perez. It is Danny and Gallant. we got a lot, including Brock Heward, who's going to give us his... Uh, uh, he's he's advertised it as a very positive, sunshiny analysis of Seattle's preseason finale. Uh, now it's time for us to get to Front Page News. This, this is the Front Page. Brought to you by Dubin Law Group. Today's top two stories and why they matter. Every morning at 710, get what you need to know to start your day right now. All right, the Seahawks won their game 27-0, beat the Los Angeles Superchargers. Alex Collins looked good. D. Eskridge played, looked exceptionally fast, and made a great grab. Afterward, Pete Carroll, though, I thought the most interesting thing was addressing Quandre Diggs, who was absent from practice this entire last week. Just did, just sat out the workouts. He talked about where things stand with his free safety. Um, we'll see. We'll, we'll talk about it. And uh, we, we've had great conversations, and and uh, and it's important that we were able to, to you know really address the, the you know where he is and where he's coming from, and I got a chance to hear him out and, and all of that, and and I, I think the world of this guy, he's, he's an amazing competitor, tough as, tough as hell in, in, in every way, and uh, really, I can't imagine not playing with him. On Friday, Pete acknowledged that Quandre Diggs was making a statement, and it's something we've heard him say a couple of times, Danny, when he's talked about players who are holding out. And I've always found it interesting just because if you compare that to other coaches and the way that they would talk about it, they would say, like, oh, they're not here. You know, like Belichick, imagine him trying to answer a question mm-hmm. like that. Why do you think Pete addresses them head on and acknowledges their existence? Because he wants the guy back on his team. And because he will not paint a player into a corner by saying that this is a test of wills. He tries to make it say, like, we understand what you want. We get it. Even if they can't or won't end up giving it to him, he he wants he wants them to feel supported. And that probably sounds contradictory, but that's his mindset. Is that even when Cam Chancellor was missing games, he he was not he was not criticizing Cam. He was basically saying he's doing what he thinks he needs to do. So there's almost a good cop, bad cop dynamic that's going on maybe with Pete Carroll playing good cop front office. Of course, just being hardline bargaining and perhaps being close to the latter. I don't think that's true. I think it's that Pete looks at it like they're young guys and they're going to they're gonna ask for what they want and that's a good thing. 
And it, even if we can't give it to them, we hope that it helps it helps repair the relationship afterward if they feel that they were heard and listened to and not shamed. As far as the actual game itself, Danny, what excited you more? Alex Collins or D. Eskridge or was it Daryl Taylor, Marquise It was Blair? Eskridge. Eskridge. The, the, the speed on the end around, the, the fly sweep that he ran, was great. The first catch he had where he went up oh, in the air catch. over the middle and contorted, it was a great catch. And it was showed you how focused he was on on catching that ball with his hands. I, I, I was I was really impressed by that. I'm looking forward to seeing him play. Eskridge on that speed sweep looked like he was purposefully trying to not run fast, and it made me excited for what he could be if he ever gets into the open field. As far as the other guys, Alex Collins looks better than Rashad Penny right now. And I wonder if he's your number two running back. We'll talk more about that with the professor and, of course, with Brock Heward in Blue 42. The Front Page. Danny, I watched it. I watched a Jake Paul boxing match. Did against, you pay for it? I did not. I went to uh, the bar across the street. Uh, watched oh, they it. had it there. Yeah, I watched it with my buddy Andre for a bit. So it was interesting. I, I don't watch a whole lot of boxing. I got to say there was a lot of nothing I felt like going on where these two were staring each other down. But Jake Paul wins again against Tyron Woodley, with the very least looked more competent than the other guys that Jake Paul has fought. Though it was very clear that he was not a boxer with his very weird and low-to-the-ground stance that he had. He also gave away about 20 pounds to to Jake Paul. Um, it's an abomination for anybody who wanted to see Jake Paul lose by homicide, which is firmly me. <laughs> he had an uh, LED belt on his, that was still in action the entire game. Match. I give... I give Jake Paul credit for taking a punch because he got he got hit real hard in the fourth. Should have gone down. He grabbed the ropes. He lasted the whole eight rounds. As a, I didn't think the first of his fights was fixed. I, th- this doesn't add up to me. Like this, this after watching that, do you think Jake Paul ever hurt Tyron Woodley? No. I, I think he landed some punches, but I don't think he ever. So why didn't Woodley throw more? That's a great question. Maybe Woodley is, because of his background not being in boxing, looking for holes that... But, dude, he's going to lose to Jake Paul. Like, entering after six rounds, like, it's very clear to me watching that fight that Tyron Woodley's losing this fight. Yeah. And I don't think he's ever been hurt. And he won't throw, which anybody who's watched him in the UFC knows that that's kind of... That's what his fights look like there. But if you're going up against a guy that hasn't hurt you... That's going to be embarrassing to you because this should be a huge embarrassment for Tyron Woodley. Yeah. Like he, I, he's not a boxer, but he lost to a Disney star. And he, and he didn't throw any more punches in those final two rounds. He didn't say, and he was the one guy that had hurt him. So I came away from it. And then when it was a split decision, I was like, oh, this might have been negotiated beforehand. Woodley's not going to go down. He's, he's going to have a split decision so he can kind of say that, like, it didn't really happen. I don't look that bad. He can collect a ton of money, and Jake Paul can still get more money from his next fight. I, I actually I, think I actually think it's fixed now. I wouldn't be surprised by that in the slightest. I hated how at the end, too, both of them celebrated. Like, Woodley clearly lost. He barely threw any punches. Yeah. Even if he did hit more of the powerful punches, I mean, it was, it was a you significant know he was? He's like, I got this paycheck. Yeah. Yeah, I got it. this paycheck. Yeah. It was a lot like guys dancing after incomplete passes that they had no part of making incomplete. Let's get the professor in here for the morning drive. John Clayton. 
John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. It's a four-way battle, and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything, everything NFL, NFL from the professor John Clayton. John Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football. It's John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. Professor, what was the biggest thing that you saw in the Seahawks? Very complete Saturday night, 27 nothing victory over the Chargers. Well, the, the big thing was the fact that you saw Shane Waldron's offense uh, you know, moving around. I think you saw the outside runs. I think you saw the uh, blocking patterns. You saw some of the things that they're going to use in the regular season, and it all looked good. I thought that Geno Smith was sensational. He really did a lot of good things. I thought you saw a lot of good things out of offense. As you mentioned, uh, Alex Collins looked fantastic. He looks good. Dwayne Estridge looks good. Uh, you know, a lot of things look good in this game. And when you win 27 to nothing over a team that didn't play their starters and you're a team that didn't play your starters, I think that was a very positive sign. John, there's rumors coming out about the Miami Dolphins being in hot pursuit of Deshaun Watson. How much credence do you give these rumors? Mm, some, but not a lot, because, again, the price tag's too much. They're not going to give up three first-round picks and two second-round picks. And so you can see, well, they may have emerged as the best team because, again, Philadelphia is out of the mix right now because they picked up Gardner Minshew, is that uh, they're probably you know the one team that can do it, but... Again, unless Houston readjusts what they're asking for, because they're not going to get three firsts and uh, two seconds, then uh, there'll be no trade. But it just amazes me because of all the things that they did, waiting to get Tua, you know, pumping that up, all those different things, and Tua's looked actually pretty good in the last couple of weeks, is that uh, they would do this. Now, you're getting the fifth-best quarterback in the league, but you're also getting a quarterback that you don't know, is he going to go on the uh, con- uh, a commissioner exempt list or whatever? So there's going to be some limitations, and you have to have some things as far as a draft choice compensation to handle things if he's going to miss a, a long period of time, either this year or next year. So uh, you know, I give it credence, but not total credence. Brian Flores doubled down on Tua Tungavailoa when asked about it, but I do think it is interesting to note that there's been a lot of people coming out of Miami that, that seem to not have the most trust in, in Brian Flores. Maybe that's specifically more so, John, coming from agents, but I saw in this piece that amongst guys who build rosters that Flores is considered one of the less trustworthy ones. I don't know why that is, but I do think that there's a chance that Miami makes this happen, and honestly, mm-hmm. I think that they should. I mean, don't you feel like with where they are right now, they're a team that's a contending team, that they would be better with a Deshaun Watson than with the possibilities of Tua Tungavailoa? Well, I mean, uh, Brian, uh, say what you want about Deshaun Watson. He's the fifth-best quarterback, sixth-best quarterback in the league. Yes, they're better with him. Now, the question is, uh, can can you use Tua as one of the first-round draft choices? Mm. To me, that would be something you have to really serious consider. Now, think and and again to your point, I think part of the distrust thing, as far as you know, him is like, gee, what coaching staff did he work with? Bill Belichick. <laughs> and so it's like, you know, if you're from a Bill Belichick staff, and and you look at the the moves that he makes. I mean, he's made a Vin lot Hoy. of uh, very very difficult moves in giving away some decent talent and all those different things. I mean, there's a little bit of Bill Belichick in him, and that's not good. I mean, if you win, which of course they did, it's going to work. But if you don't win, then it's not going to work. So no, I, I'm kind of with you in the standpoint that uh, there's some questions about Brian Flores. But again, he gets better reviews certainly than Matt Patricia. <laughs> yes. 
John, uh, the Seahawks preseason game on Saturday night, yeah. I thought it was pretty clear that Alex Collins looked better than Rashad Penny. Do you think Alex is the backup right now? Yeah, I, I've been really thinking that for about a month. I mean, really, I, he's looked so much better both in practice, in games, and everything else. I mean, Penny did a good job on Saturday. There's no question about that. He ran fast. He did a lot of good things. But you look at Collins and the broken tackles that he's made, the fact that he would break tackles and run across field, that looks good to me. I mean, to me, it would be not a mistake to not name him as a backup uh, running back, but to me, he should be their backup running back. Yeah, he looked a lot like 2017 Alex Collins, and maybe every running back should do some Irish step dancing on the side to get that footwork up. Also, we saw in Saturday night's game impressive performances, I thought, on defense, both by youngsters that you're hoping mm-hmm. take a big step forward, Daryl Taylor and Marquise Blair. It's obviously just a preseason game, but man, I, I, I really liked what I saw out of the two of them. Yeah, I mean, Daryl Taylor is... He, I mean, because... You know, what you looked at when you saw Jadavian Clowney two years ago is that he made great pressure. He takes on double team blocks, but he he didn't get to the quarterback. I mean, but now in this game on Saturday, Daryl Taylor got to the quarterback. He made good hits. He did a lot of good things. I thought he looked good. I mean, you know, Cody Barton, I thought, looked sensational. I mean, he he and Mike uh, Nick Ballore took out Chase Daniel. Yeah, still I know. in the league. I guess I know. It's like an, I'm, I'm I'm standing there on the sidelines watching Chase Daniel. You know, kept kind of keep his fingers going because his arm, his, oh, his hand was all hurt and all those different things. But I, I I thought you know he looked he looked really good. But what what I'm curious to see because I almost have to go back on the uh, game rewind and look at it. Because you notice in this game on Saturday, they had Daryl Taylor at strong side outside linebacker, right? Okay, yep. so when they do that, where's Cody Barton playing? Inside linebacker, middle linebacker. And is that going to be something now, the, th- the two two options, if they don't sign K.J. Wright behind uh, you know uh, Bobby Wagner, could it be Cody Barton and Nick Ballore? Because B- B- Ballore looks good. I mean, he, I mean, he may not have speed because he's a little bit older, but, I mean, he looked good with the five tackles that he had and all those different things. To go back to Rashad Penny for just a second, uh, Travis Homer was activated and could be available. Do you see any any chance that, that Penny gets cut? No. No, because okay. right now, uh, if Penny gets cut, you're paying him $1.948 million. That's his guaranteed mm-hmm. contract. And so you want to pay for somebody that you're not going to have? I mean, unless you can trade him. And obviously a trade is going to be for some low value, You know, maybe a sixth-round pick in 2003. 23 i mean you're not going to get uh you 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 so you have to keep him on the roster and again it's like he's not disowned any chance of him making the uh, roster i mean he's basically uh you know just catching up right now and he's i think he's catching up pretty well in the last couple weeks but still no you can't you you can't cut him professor you're the most valuable this week well you're always valuable but especially this week with all the anticipation of roster cuts we appreciate it we'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow okay sounds good That is John Clayton. You can hear him this afternoon at 4 p.m. with Wyman and Bob, also on 710sports.com. Well, the Seahawks preseason is over. We're going to give you our biggest takeaways. Are they any bigger than Cody Barton's takeaway? We'll we'll tell you next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. You think Chase Daniel is going to call Cody Barton Big Papa? Baby, baby! 
Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Cody Barton might have ended Chase Daniels' career, although Chase Daniels seems to be the quarterback who just keeps on getting gigs as he was under center for the Los Angeles Chargers early in Saturday night's preseason game, Danny, and then he got clobbered. Is there anybody that's made more for doing less in the NFL? Like, I've always wanted to. It's definitely a backup quarterback, but who has made sort of the most while doing the least? <laughs> How about Charlie Whitehurst? Whitehurst is up there, but Whitehurst's career earnings like are probably about $12, $13 million. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe he's at $15 million. And he played a couple of times like Chase Daniel. Chase Daniel might be up there toward $30 or $40 million. And... Ha- how many games has that dude actually started? It's like Charlie, 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 God. the White Hurst might might have had. I saw it on my, Twitter the other night. I believe he was at thirty eight million for five actual starts. Chase Daniel, yeah. Good lord, <laughs> <laughs> that is some stats. America That's, is great. Seriously, that that is one of those things where you're like, God bless him, man. Man, talk about opportunities. Matt Flynn writes another texter. Rick Meyer, Jamarcus Russell made a lot considering he didn't do anything at all. But all those dudes were starters for extended periods of time. Like, right, like, you're right, they didn't end up amounting to much, and maybe they ended up making more total money, but, like, at least they got beaten. At least they got clobbered for their money. Here's a good text. Colt McCoy has been in the league a really long time. That's true, too. That's, That's a solid one. And he does not play that often, though he did in his rookie season. A couple of people write in. Matt Flynn. So, good suggestions. Keep them coming, 710-710. Here is how Chase Daniel exited Saturday night's preseason game. Marquise Blair comes running toward the line of scrimmage on third down and seven. And here comes the blitz. And Daniels gets hit. The ball pops up. It's intercepted. Blair goes in. Touchdown, Seahawks. And just like that, the Seahawks bring the pressure. Chase Daniels coughs it up as he's trying to throw. And the ball lands right in the hands of Marquise Blair, who just came off the injured list. Picks it off out of the clear blue and takes it in. Cody Barton with a hit, and the Seahawks are on top 6 nothing. Do you ever have the question of, if I had a jersey for this team, who would I wear? I have, actually. Who, who, who's, whose jersey would you wear? Because for me, I, I'd be wearing Marquise Blair's. You'd be wearing Blair, okay. Now, I get a little bit of the benefit of 27 as also big play Babs. Mm-hmm. And like Jordan Babineau has a special place in my heart. Just like, great dude. Had some huge moments for the Seahawks. So you get the, the double dip with that. But yeah. Yeah, man. I love I love Blair. I love watching Blair play. I'm so happy he had this. Because you're talking about a guy who had all that hype about him in last year's offseason. Yeah. Who was really looking good. Those two scrimmages he played in. One, he had two interceptions. But then he has that injury happen. You want him to be confident that he can be a playmaker. And my goodness, I he was constantly in great position, whether it was when he was blitzing and he was creating like legit pressure even while getting blocked. He thumped a couple of receivers. He always seemed to have his hands in the passing lanes of a couple of throws downfield. I, I know that that backup quarterback who came in for Chase Daniel afterwards is not very good, but I really liked what I saw out of Blair. And, you know, if the Seahawks defense is going to be better than it was last year, they need Marquise Blair and Daryl Taylor to be good. If, if those two guys don't contribute, be plus players, then we're going to see a lot of what we saw in the first half of last year, I think, which is a historically bad defense or at least something close to it. I just have a really high 
I think he has a tremendous amount. I love the way he plays football. I think he's tough-nosed. I think that in, in, today's, in today's NFL, there is all of this talk about speed and stretching the field horizontally and, and getting to the edge. And, and I think that, that you forget like a big part of defense is, is knocking the heck out of the other team. Yeah, yeah. Right, like that's Simple. that's a, that's a, that's a big part of it. And for all of the talk about oh, the game's changed, and there are certain hits that have been taken out. There are. You can't you can't claw, you can't light a guy up down the middle when you when a when a pass is thrown for him. But there's lots of other examples and opportunities to clobber people. And and I think I think I think Marquise Blair, I think that physical approach he brings to the game. Um, I, I'm I'm really I'm excited to see what he can do. And where you said like I'm happy for him. I was like, yes, but I hope that isn't the happiest moment of this season. Oh, I, yes, I, I am with you. There. Yes, but yeah. I, 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 hope, I hope that that is just a sign of the kind of opportunities he's going to have to come. I hope it's a springboard. The other guy I really like, Danny, on defense, Daryl Taylor, another guy, a lot of hype, not a lot of playing time. Whether it was sitting back in coverage, flying up, while in coverage to bump a quarterback out of bounds. He had this nice tackle on the play where a running back shook him. He was still able to recover and make the tackle. Or he's been doing this thing with this, this speed rush off the edge where he's slowly been getting like tighter with turning the corner and getting his left shoulder low so he can go underneath the tackle. And again, I don't know what tackle is in there for L.A. I don't know how good the guy was, but... There are a couple of plays where you could see like the slow progress Taylor's been making this training camp towards becoming, I think, better off the edge. It, it was on full display in that game. And he's also someone that's going to have to make a lot of big plays this season. Got some other suggestions for quarterbacks who've made the most while doing the least. Give him. S- Sam Bradford. Yeah. Five, six million per game he, played. He did start a lot, though, right? Yeah, he did for multiple teams, right? Yeah. So that that's... That that's hung up on there. Brock Osweiler. Oh boy, God, is he in the league me. anymore? Uh, he's gone, I don't right? I Think so. No, he's out. If I'm not mistaken, right? Because he had and he was able to get back in as a starting quarterback after that disastrous time in Houston. I think he had like one start with Miami or something like that. Uh, yeah, this is a guy who what it was. I think a four year, seventy two million dollar contract. At the very least, he got half of that money in the first couple of years of that deal. Matt Castle. Yeah, but Castle hung around for a long time afterward. He did as a backup. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, he didn't even do much in college, remember, because he didn't play no. in college, and yet he yeah, was still he got drafted. S- Sanchez. Sanchez ended up starting over him. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a quarterback, but Chase Daniels found the path to be it because he's at no point ever been declared the starting quarterback. No, he hasn't. At no point has he ever been declared the starting quarterback, and he's made $38 million. But he always could be the starting quarterback. How many offseason buzz stories you hear about that? He's considered to be the best backup that you could get. Yeah. And and Why? it's it's such a it's such a weird that's such a weird thing to spend money on for me. Such a strange thing. Oh, like I want the best of the of the guys that can't ever be conce- conceivably a starter. We're going to talk a little more about Alex Collins in about 15 minutes or so, but Danny, I think the other the other thing that really jumped out in this preseason game, we touched on it uh, out of the shoot. D Eskridge, that guy is exceptionally fast. Here's Pete Carroll talking about the rookie's performance on Saturday night. Yes, it was. Yeah, I mean, it is when the guy's never played before and he gets a chance to get out there. He felt great, had fun, you know, liked it. He's really pumped up about moving forward, and, and uh, he's, had, he's had a couple really good weeks for us and looked terrific. So there was nothing different about it. Um, 
he's a good ball player. He's fast and he's quick and explosive and his hands are really strong and really good. Uh, his mentality is really strong about competing and, and all. So, I man, it's, he looks like the guy we had hoped that we would get when we picked him and, and, uh, we're thrilled about it at this time. He's got a lot, a lot of work to do to catch up and, and, uh, to, to play, you know, first flight football in, in a real game and all. We saw him in that speed sweep, and that's the thing that we were hoping to see a little bit more of with Shane. Why did Waldron. they show that? That that was my first. Why why would you show that to opponents? Because it's clear that you're. I mean, you have to have a reason for doing that, right? Because if if that's something you're playing, is it to plant a seed there so every opponent spends five minutes telling their team that week of like you have to stay on the backside, like you have to? It it was weird to me that you would you would lay that out there in his first opportunity. Yeah, maybe it's something to make people nervous about D. Eskridge on the field whenever he's there. That that's something laterally that you might have to worry about. And honestly, I think that that's one of those plays. Given his speed, I I think that could be a really good one for him. I thought it was really funny watching the blockers in front of him, and you could tell he was like not running full speed, and I bet he was mm-hmm. dying to see open fields so we could bust out for a big gain. It's Danny and Gallant, 710 ESPN Seattle. Up next, we're going to parse Pete. Who's going to be the Seahawks' backup running back? Because Alex Collins certainly played really well. Did he overtake Rashad Penny? You'll hear it from Pete next. You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Clipboard Jesus. Mm-hmm. Which is what uh, Charlie Whitehurst was known as. Nine starts, $17 million in career earnings. Not bad work if you can get it, but I, Daniel's got him beat, right? Yes. $38 million with five starts. He's thrown what, how many passes, Mora? 127, 227? I believe, it was, I believe it was 178, but 278 passes in that time. <laughs> and Sam Bradford, probably the biggest total, 83 career games, $130 million in career earnings. Like that is, but he was a starter for a couple of days. And a first spots. overall pick, too. Yeah, but yeah, he basically, you. it's not possible to make more money than that while being worse than, than Sam Bradford was. Like, he fully maxed out how much he could possibly earn. I also want to point out before we get to parsing Pete, we got a text here because I was wondering why the Seahawks showed that sweep. It was the most basic sweep known to the NFL. I don't think you have to hide that one with D. Eskridge. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. And maybe there is a benefit of getting seeing how D. Eskridge reacts to that in game speed. You haven't had him for most of the offseason. If that's something you want to do, maybe you see, hey, is this is this something that he'll that he's able to execute in, in, in a game scenario? How about this? You want the team that you go up against to prepare for as many possible things as possible. You see D. Eskridge on the edge, a guy that probably is behind Freddie Swin in the depth chart. That's another guy to think about. All right, let's get to parsing, Pete. It's time for us to take you inside the coach's words and read between the lines. Do you struggle trying to understand what Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll has to say? The answer to that question is yes. Well, you're in luck. Introducing Pete Parsing, a revolutionary new software. That's like a no answer right there. By listening just 10 minutes a day, You'll be able to understand what's going through the mind of a national championship and Super Bowl winning head coach. And heck, you might even start talking like him. Always competing. Always competing. Danny and Gallant proudly present Parsing Pete. All right. The first one that's up. What is going on with Quandre Dix? Did not 
practice last week, but has been attending. He's a hold in in, in the common parlance. He did not did not play. Pete Carroll was asked about his absence after the game. What's going on with the safety? Um, we'll see. We'll, t- we'll talk about it. And uh, we we've had great conversations. And and uh, and it's important that we were able to to you know really address the, the you know where he is and where he's coming from. And I got a chance to hear him out and, and all of that. And and I, I think the world of this guy. He's he's an amazing competitor, tough as tough as hell and in, in, in every way. And uh, really, I can't imagine not playing with him. I don't think he's remotely concerned about this. I feel like he believes that this is going to get taken care of. Don't you? I, I, I hear a guy who is so complimentary there that, and also saying that, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine us playing without him. I feel like he knows this is going to get done. Is that adding sugar to the, on, on top of an offer that's not going to improve, though? Because that's what I hear. Mm. Is We love him. We want him. I've understood where he's coming from and what he's said, and we've listened to it all. We we've we we really want him to be part of this going forward, and that it's the hey, we we know you ask for what you want, and we heard you, and we're doing everything we can that we feel good about doing, and and we want you back on board. But they're not sweetening the pot. He's using pretty please instead of extra extra decimals or commas <laughs> in the offer. I wonder how Harrison Smith's contract that he got from Minnesota affects this too. Four years, sixty-four million dollars doesn't help, man. No. They're not paying. They're not paying Quandre Diggs sixteen million dollars a year. No, they are not. But that definitely brings the safety market up a little bit. I do think it's going to be something like eleven million a year. That's probably what he's looking for, just given some of the other safeties in the league. I think John Johnson. Uh, he might be looking for fourteen or fifteen. So somewhere in between there, eleven and fourteen. He might, he might be thinking Red Lobster, and the Seahawks are thinking Burger King. Is Red Lobster that much better than Burger King? According to Ice Cube. Okay. All right, let's get to the next one. Let's get to the next one. Is Robert Kimdiche, who did not play in this game, is he going to make this team? Here was Pete Carroll afterward. He had a groin thing, and then, and then he, in pass rush yesterday, two days ago, he tweaked, he tweaked something a little bit different, showed up on MRI. It was slight, but it was enough. And what he felt, uh, you know, was enough to keep him out of the game. So, unfortunately, he didn't get a chance to play. We, we really didn't get to see much of him. Is he making the team? Uh, only if they stash him on the PUP, right? They can't because he's already oh, yeah. started practicing, right? That's true. Nope. He's getting cut. That is the that is Pete code for, hey, it's unfortunate. We would have loved to see him out there, but unfortunately it just didn't happen and he wasn't able to make it out there. Yeah, Robert Kimdiche, I can't imagine he's surviving through they do have their, those, their round of cuts. They do have those injured reserve rules now where, right? Yes. You, so maybe I guess but they you have that. he has to make the 53-man roster ah. before. If you put him on injured reserve before you set the 53-man roster, like he, he's done. Okay. If 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 you make it, put him on the fifty three man roster, make all of your cuts, then put him on injured reserve. He can come. Yeah. Back. If he hasn't played, he's not going to do it. And that's a guy who has potential, but it's really the only reason you brought him in. Potential lottery ticket that you're hoping would give you something more. All right. And here is the most important in my mind, the biggest uncertainty right now. Who's your backup running back? And specifically, Alex Collins had a heck of a game yeah. on Saturday night. Here was Pete on Alex Collins afterward. I thought he played really well. I thought he looked he looked um, explosive, and and uh, you know he's got the great feet that he has. You know we all know that the, whatever that dance thing that he does, he's got some unbelievable moves. But uh, his feet are remarkable, and you, you know you you see too that he's an experienced player. You know he knows when he gets in those situations, he finds his way to navigate uh, to the to the positive, and and uh, he's been doing it his whole life. You know he's been a highly highly college productive player in college. There's only one other guy that had three thousand yards seasons in the SEC 
you know, Herschel Walker was the other guy. So um, I love giving him that credit because that's, that's an amazing accomplishment, you know. So anyway, played really good. You wax poetically there. I mean, I'm a little offended that Pete Carroll called Irish step dancing that dancing thing. But whatever, that's neither here nor there. Just the dance of my people. He really looked good in this game, Danny. And, I, I, I mean, he completely outshined Rashad Penny, who I thought played well in this game, too. It wasn't like Penny played poorly. It's just Collins was way better. Is Collins your backup? Yeah, I think so. Collins and then DJ Dallas is potentially your third down back and your special teams ace? Yeah, I think so. And after that, uh, I guess Penny then fits Penny? into the equation. I don't know if they're going to keep Travis Homer around, but I feel like maybe five running backs is, is possible because you like what Homer gives you on special teams too, I would imagine. He's not just the guy that you bring in as a third down blocker. Um, but I, I, I really liked what I saw out of Collins. And, and remember, this was a guy who in 2017, after the Seahawks had him for a little bit, and then he goes to Baltimore. I mean, Baltimore, he played great. He was really good in 2017 with Baltimore, and then he had a gun charge, I believe, and marijuana in a car or something like that. And the uh, weed's legal it. now. We don't sweat that stuff, right? The gun, the gun, that might be an issue going forward. B- bigger deal was Tom Cable, right? Like that was we blamed Tom Cable when yeah. he went to Baltimore. We we're like, why did Tom Cable not bring this out of him? He has to go to Baltimore to blossom that way. All right, I know Brock Heward has some thoughts about running backs. He'll also tell us the one player that's jumped out to him on defense. It is definitely not who you think. He joins us next for Blue Forty Two.